Perfect. So this is Hello Climate Change, which is uh, about waking up and taking action one conversation at a time. And I'm really, really, really <laughs> um, at the risk of embarrassing you, Audrey, really excited that we're going to be talking. This is Audrey Shulman, um, who's with me. Hi, Audrey. Are you there? Sorry, here I am. I hit the mute button by mistake. Oh, 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 good. I'm glad you're there. Um, so the reason that I'm so excited to be talking to you, Audrey, well, first of all, you're the first person I've actually had as a, as a guest on my podcast who I don't know personally. So this is the first time we're talking. Um, you don't have much of a relationship with me, but my relationship with you goes back to 2008 when I read something that you wrote in Orion magazine that was called How to Be a Climate Hero. And it was it was really good timing for me to to read that because I was feeling really discouraged and overwhelmed by not just climate change but I I think of it as a symptom of a larger lack of consciousness um but a, a really really critical symptom that that was felt like a wake up call to me but I didn't really understand how to respond to it and um um, so your article kind of pointed me in the right direction, and it feels like I've been sort of bushwhacking um, in the right direction ever since. <laughs> um, so th this podcast grows out of that. Thank you for saying that. That's really kind. Um, it was a uh, it was a great process for me to write the article or essay or whatever you want to call it. You you started it by te telling a story. Um, about an event on a commuter train that got you thinking in a new way. And maybe um, if it's fresh enough in your mind, maybe you could tell us the story. Yes, I was, I was on a um, train with my two kids, uh, and I was sort of focused on them, and they were making some noise, and, you know, I was busy. But I heard something behind me. Um, and after it kept going on and didn't stop, I turned around and looked, and there was... Um, uh, a child standing up on one of the chairs on the train, um, yelling out, uh, my mom's having an epileptic fit. Um, and I could see uh, the legs of his mom sort of in the aisle kicking. You know, I think he was probably uh, six, seven, something like that. Um, and everybody else on the train, there were, there were a fair number of people on the train, and they were all frozen and just staring um and they look sort of scared um i'm a i when i went to school i went to school uh, for psychology or in psychology and so i knew that this was um uh, you know the what's it called the bystander effect which is when people are in a crowd and something bad happens they'll frequently freeze um thinking that somebody else is going to take care of this or I don't have the skills, you know, or maybe it's, you know, a movie being filmed and, uh, or maybe it's an April Fool's joke or, you know, they just, they don't know what to do and they don't know if it's real and they don't think they have the skills to deal with it. So they just freeze and then everybody freezes and thinks, well, everybody else isn't doing something. There must be a reason why they're not doing it. So it's, it's just a common human response. Um, uh, but in terms of uh, climate change, 
um, whichever since I've had kids, I've been thinking more and more about climate change because it will affect their lives so strongly. Um, a climate change is the biggest bystander effect possible because everybody on the planet is sort of standing there staring at what's happening, uh, knowing how horrible it is, but looking around and seeing like, well, I shouldn't be doing it. I'm not a, you know, climate scientist. I'm not a activist. I'm not an economist. I'm not a world leader. Uh, and so uh, the, the effect is very, very intense, and it's really hard. You know, so people stand there frozen with fear, uh, as I was seeing on the, the train. And what's uh, nice, if you can say that, about the, the bystander effect is once you know about it, um, you're inoculated. Right. Because uh, then you can recognize it and understand they're not freezing because this isn't important, or they're not freezing because somebody shouldn't do something about it, uh, but they're freezing because they don't know what to do and don't know if they don't take responsibility. Um, so uh, in that case, with the, the woman on the train and the kid, uh, I stepped forward and uh, said, you know, pointed, because you, you have to identify, you can't call out to the crowd, somebody do something, but you have to identify people. And so I pointed to one person and said, go get the conductor. And to somebody else, I said, um, call 911. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, it, you know, I just identified people to help. And as soon as I did, and this is the thing that I think is so incredible, uh, as soon as I did, everybody got happy. <laughs> and they started bustling, you know, like they all wanted to help. You know, people are nice people. And so they all ran forward and they were comforting the kid and somebody got, you know, uh, got a spoon and we tried to stop the woman's tongue from going back in the throat, which later I found out is a myth. But anyway, mm -hmm. at that point, we didn't know that. Uh, you know, and we just did the best we could and the train stopped and the conductor came and the EMT and she was taken off and she was fine. She was standing by then. But the that moment when we shifted from being terrified and frozen to the moment when people began to start acting is just a fast is the moment that stuck with me afterwards right. and made me understand that I had to do something that I had to take responsibility that even if I wasn't a climate change scientist or a world leader that I could take action uh, and ever since then I've been doing that and trying to identify other people to, to do the same. The more, the more I do that, the more people go from being frozen and terrified, at least to myself. I've gone from being frozen and angry mm. to being uh, surrounded by people who care and are trying. And it, mm. it's made me happier. That, I definitely wanted to ask you about that, because in the in what you'd written, you talked about how your emotional state changed when you started to act and you had been terrified when you, you said that when your first child was born, that, that you were sort of paralyzed with fear around this and that, that this incident yeah. was such, so enlightening. And it was for me too. However, for me, it's taken, I feel like it's taken me a long time. I'm maybe I'm being hard on myself and I'm not seeing all the steps I had to take to get to where I am right now. And I'm, I, I think I'll 
think about it that way uh, um, in the future, maybe. Um, but right now, it still feels like it took me a long time to get from the insight that you gave me in that article to the place where I could see myself as having power um, around these huge issues where it felt like I had no voice. So, so for you, what maybe it would be helpful to hear what um, what did you figure out at that point once you decided that to to or once you found yourself moving out of the fear and into action, what was your next step? Um, you know, so at one point I, uh, wrote a letter to the editor, um, about, uh, Cape Wind, you know, mm-hmm. which is uh, a wind farm that was being proposed for, you know, and I, uh, I guess it was a powerful enough letter that, um, the head of Cape Wind called me up to thank me. And, uh, then I started a, a climate, uh, change, uh, nonprofit, uh, where we worked with you know, a lot, a group of us uh, taught skills to uh, volunteers on how to lower energy use in buildings. Um, and so we'd not only uh, teach the skills and socially market these skills, but we'd also l- lower the energy use in that building itself. And the more I did that, the more I learned and met other people who knew more and were more active and who cared and uh, we all built, you know, community around this. Um, and I've met so many people <laughs> through it. And, and you know, like, the more I do, the more I see there is to, to be done, and the more I have become an expert, even though I am, I was not. Right. You know, the, the more I identified, okay, this is how I want to act, the more I learned and the more power I had. And the more people actually listen to me, which is freakishly silly, because, uh, <laughs> um, you know, in the beginning, I had no knowledge. Hmm. It, but that changed. And you're saying, what was silly? I don't... Oh, that, that, um, so in the beginning, I had no expertise in energy efficiency. Um, but I said, this is something we should do and other people thought it was important too and so we did it and we bumbled along and we taught ourselves about uh, residential energy efficiency you know how to lower energy use at home and we got more and more expertise um, and uh, you know it's just like once you identify yourself as somebody who will act you automatically get power Mm -hmm. Um, you, you can act uh, I used to be a lifeguard, and part of the training was, you know, responding to um, emergency situations. And that same action, sort of, that you describe about pointing to someone, say, you call nine one one, you get a blank, you know, get a whatever. I don't know, whatever's needed, um, was part of that training. So I wonder if the that thought about the bystander effect was conscious or just kind of understood that people are going to be standing around gawking and you need help and um and that's the way to get it yeah and it helps the people it helps people too because then they aren't left feeling you know like i'm sure everybody's seen something horrible happen and hasn't been able to do anything about it and you're left with this terrible this terrible weight inside of you but um if 
if instead somebody identifies you and says, hey, do this simple task, mm-hmm. then you help. And you feel, you know, that weight is gone or not, it's not as bad. It makes me think of, um, have you ever heard of um, flea circuses? <laughs> um, people who sort of supposedly train fleas to, oh, yeah. you know, and the way they do it is, uh, so I guess a flea circus is really just kind of this little habitat. It's kind of a um, a hobby, an old, I, I think people did it in the 70s more than now, but um, where, where you would breed fleas and keep them in this contained environment where um, they would just kind of crawl around. And fleas naturally are, are high jumping um, I- insects, but they would train them, quote unquote, to not jump by putting them in test tubes which they would tilt on the side and so what would happen is these fleas would try to jump and they'd hit the glass ceiling of the the test tube and they would learn that there was a limitation there in what they can do and so then they could put them in these habitats where they're they wouldn't jump out um and so um i that story was told to me as a metaphor for kind of how we are we we learn powerlessness and it's something that happens very young and we, and having the idea of having someone come along and say, pointing to you and saying, you can, can contribute here and here's something you can do. Yeah. Is, is very liberating, I imagine. And I, and I think like, especially this happens potentially, uh, uh, with, with women, Mm-hmm. That women have, are sort of uh, taught more to be to not take action sometimes, and that can not only result in a lot of fear but a lot of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, taking action <laughs> uh, as soon as you do, it's so liberating, mm-hmm. and it, it makes us uh, all happier. We're, we're, all, we're like fleas that are meant to jump. Oh, meant we're, to we're jump. meant to take action. Yeah. And, and we don't. Right. And we also, as women, you know, are kind of conditioned that our role is, is the nurturing and the caretaking and that it's less important and sort of naive compared to um, defense and conquest and achievement, you know, quote unquote, in business. And that seems to be like the the core of the conversation around climate change right now is around uh, people coming to terms with, we have to address this. And then the other side saying, but we need to keep economic growth going. And, you yeah. know, sort of, it, it, they're, <laughs> they're really not on separate sides of um, the coin when you really, really look at what climate change implies no because uh you you know first off you can save money i mean energy costs money right and so the less energy you use the more money you save um and uh so even in the in the short term you save money uh and secondly all of the services of this planet that you know are provided to us the air to breathe the food to eat the the you know everything um i was i I talked to one energy efficiency expert who said that uh if you think about it the earth already warms your house up from absolute zero to you know about 50 degrees centigrade on average in this on this planet 
um, which is like, uh, I, you know, I think about 300 degrees. All you have to do is move it from <laughs> from 50 to, you know, 68, so only like 18 degrees. Mm-hmm. Does that, you know, heating degrees if, if you, um, and so almost every, that, that's such an incredible service. <laughs> we, we don't understand all that the planet provides, mm-hmm. and we can't factor that into our economics. Right. Um, uh, it's the most ignorant thing possible to try and imagine all the services uh, provided and to, to, to assume that those do not have economic uh, value. Right. I, I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard that there was some group that was trying to um, come up with a number. That seemed like a, a Yeah, there crazy are exercise. people always doing that. <laughs> Um, and so your nonprofit is called Home Energy Efficiency Team, and I'm a, you're in the Boston area, just in case anyone's yeah, listening heat. from that area. H e e t. Yeah. And um, yeah. Did I, I? I was looking at that website, and um, I saw something about methane leaks, and I was curious to hear how you're engaging with that issue. Here in Massachusetts, where I live, um, the uh, majority of our energy is produced through natural gas. Uh, you know, about half the electricity is produced that way, and a lot of that, you know, about half the houses are heated that way. Um, the natural gas is piped to our buildings through pipes under the street. Um, it, Massachusetts has old infrastructure, so there's uh, a lot of those pipes are 100 years old, and they've been under the ground uh, in those damp earth, and they're made of metal, so they corrode um, and begin to leak. Uh, and the there was just a Harvard study that showed that uh, some, just under 3% of the natural gas is wasted, uh, you know, leaks up into the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and because meth, it's uh, 95% methane, natural gas is 95% methane, it has a, then methane such a powerful uh, greenhouse gas, um, that little bit of leaking uh, equates to about... 10% of our state's greenhouse gas emissions, wow. uh, which means that it's the entire, all the factories, you know, it's equivalent to all factories and all business, all, all stores, all, you know, it's a huge, huge component. Um, and so we're uh, mapping it. Mm. Um, you know, we, uh, the utilities have released data about where all the leaks are. And so we've taken that data and uh, mapped it to show where every leak is on Google Maps. So you can zoom into your town and find out if there's a leak on your street. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the reason why these leaks are important are not only greenhouse gas, but they're potentially explosive. Um, they kill trees and they're uh, increased ground level ozone, uh, which is hazardous to human health. And the utilities. Uh, factor the waste of gas into the price we pay. So hmm. they lose the gas, and then they make us pay for the waste. Hmm. Um, uh, so it, it just seems so egregious. So by mapping it, we hope to educate people um, and uh, uh, help change the laws so that the utilities are given, you know, allowed to change things. Hmm. So I live um, in a more rural area, um, so there are not, you know, natural, there aren't gas pipelines going um, under the streets, but there is the Algonquin pipeline that goes from Philadelphia up 
I think it goes through Massachusetts. In fact, I have to look at a map to remember, but it goes through many states. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to extend it. I think into Boston. Oh, and they're also um, they're also expanding it. They're gonna. Uh, I think it's. Yeah. I don't think it's quite triple. I I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they're going to um, expand it, widen it, pump more gas through it. And there's a compression station about a half mile from my house. Um, and I go for bicycle rides in my area, um, and the, we pass that pipeline in various places along the way. And uh, at one point, I did see um, that kind of uh, wavy air kind of quality right near it and smelled gas. And um, I found myself wondering if there was anybody who was testing that around me. And then the other thing is, I also worried that if people were making a, a case about the fact that there's leaks, that might actually feed right into the, the rationale for for new, quote-unquote, improved pipelines. For fighting, yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. If, if they want to, I mean, first off, uh, in, uh, you know, the, the Spectra and other companies are trying to make the case that we need a lot more gas, uh, and the utilities have, last winter, uh, radically increased the price both of uh, natural gas and electricity because of the supposed shortage that we have here. And yet there was no shortage. There was, there was never a point at which we, even after last winter, which was the most, hmm. the worst winter uh, I think Massachusetts has ever had on record, um, there was no shortage. Hmm. Um, and yet they, you know, so it, like they're trumping up a case to make a huge pipeline where they're going to bring, you know, it, some people theorize they're bringing it to the, you know, to the sea in order to be able to ship it to Europe where uh, it costs three times more. Oh, wow. um, and so, and the, the current uh, situation is that the rate payers might have to pay the, uh, I've forgotten how many, you know, the billion dollar, whatever it is, pipeline. Um, I, I don't remember what the price tag is, but we would have to pay for the price tag. They would uh, ship the gas to Europe where they could get paid for it better. We don't need it. Uh, and we still have to pay for the wasted gas if they haven't even, you know, they haven't even fixed the pipes that are here. So if we can, if there is any problem, why not just fix the, the you know, make things more efficient Right. So we don't need new pipes. Mm -hmm. There's a lovely story uh, here in Boston where 30 years ago, we uh, people said that we needed a new water pipeline. That you know we were uh, averaging using about 10 percent more than the reservoirs in the area could comfortably produce. And so the uh, Water Resource Authority in the area decided we needed a new pipeline. It was going to cost $500 million. They, It was going to come from Connecticut. And it was only when Connecticut said, no, we're not selling you that water, that um, the, instead they went to efficiency. And that was 30 years ago. And uh, um, they uh, needed um, – they, they turned out to decrease water use by 1% every year through efficiency, so that now, after 30 years, um, they've, they've decreased the water use enormously, saved everybody enormous amounts of money, didn't have to build the pipeline, which they would have had to pay for, um, et cetera. Hmm. It's, it's, 
uh, just a lovely case of you don't have to believe those those graphs of mm-hmm. what we need, you know, what they believe we need. Right. Did that make sense? Yeah, it did, completely. How How is it for you, how do you find um, your this is affecting your relationships with people in your life who are not, you know, who are, who, who are already in your life before you became active in sort of addressing these issues and who are not inclined to take action. (laughs) I feel like there should be a therapist who, uh, specializes in, uh, relationships between people who are, uh, uh, climate change, uh, activists and their their non-climate change spouses um but uh because i meet more and more people like that but um no it's 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 hard you know that uh it's it's both a uh, every every uh every human relationship is is uh differences between people um but if anything that people feel are is critically important, you know, like most people believe about, you know, the people who care about climate change believe it has something to do with the fate of the planet or at least human life on the planet, then uh, it's it's uh, hard to negotiate that. But it is also a way to learn and, get, you know, uh, and become closer with people. It's, it's a chance to... Uh, to learn more about how how to be how to be connected with people. Yeah, that's I like how you put that, and I think you're right. Um, and and yeah, because there are people there are people in my life who who, you know, don't want to talk about it because they don't feel like they can do anything about it, and they're they're overloaded with other you know issues and crises in their lives, and um, you know it just feels like. Uh, I'm piling on if if I want to have a conversation about this, but um, yeah. but but I but the way that I you know take in the the only way that that's going to be something I can respond to is if I'm willing to care about them even more. And what are those crises that they're dealing with, and and how you know did, what do they what are their it all it all matters in a, in in a way. It's I remember um, hearing somebody talk about this kind of um uh illusion that that it feels like because climate change is so urgent um of an issue to take on that it feels like that it you have to choose between um a going to taking action there or caring for you know your sick relative or something like that and the, that 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 it feels like it doesn't feel right that you should be in a position that one that caring for the planet as a whole supersedes caring for a hum, one human being. Um, do, what are your thoughts about that? I think we can just do what we can do. Yeah. I heard this. Uh, I listen to On Being a lot, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an NPR show, and um, there was a uh, a nun who was speaking whose name I cannot remember now, of course, but who uh, was talking about the fact that you just have to identify the one thing you can do and like just do it right. don't get don't get overwhelmed don't get um, don't don't think that oh my goodness I can't have you know I can't I've got to be a vegetarian I can't eat tuna 
I, uh, and, you know, I have to be a local boy. I, uh, you know, just, just find the one thing yeah. and, and take action there. The, I've had this image in my head today of, of it being like a stream of energy in the right direction. And whatever it is that wherever you are, you can be moving that, dire- that energy in the right direction as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I like that. Um, so for you now, what I don't, I don't really want to use a war analogy to get at this question, but it's the words that are coming to mind is what, what do you wreck for you, right? Where you are in your life. Um, what is the battlefront? What is the, what is the place that you're moving the energy in that direction or want to be addressing next? So I think, um, part of the, uh, um, I've been working very hard yeah. doing this stuff for seven or eight years now, and um, I feel for me the difficulty is how to live a full life, how to love the people uh, in my life, um, how to be you know like a a good parent, a good daughter, uh, uh, a worthwhile human. <laughs> Um, and, and still do this work, uh, pay the bills, you know, everything like that. That's, that's the, and how to enjoy life, you know, in spite of what I think is, uh, pretty dramatic, um, fight, mm. you know? Yeah. If, if you, if you really believe that we're killing the planet, <laughs> how do you, how do you go about celebrating and enjoying a normal human life mm. is something that I think about. I love this quote. I think it's Harold Thurman um, was the person who said this. It's something like, um, don't worry about what the world needs. Think about what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for I like me, that. Yeah, I like it too. And I've liked it for a really long time. And for a while, I couldn't rec- reconcile it with thinking about what the, because it feels like what the world needs is so desperate in so many areas. Um, and what I realized was um, that I was feeling so bad about all those problems in the world that that was keeping me from coming alive. And actually rolling up my sleeves and starting to get more information so that I can figure out how to plug in and make my small difference was, was part of the way that would make me come alive. So, so it still, it still works for me, that quote, after all this time. Um, And when you wrote that article, you mentioned it, it was around the time that your first child was born that you had all these feelings kind of come up around climate change. So how old is your firstborn now? He's, he's now 15. Oh. Um, so it's been a long, you know, it's oh. been a while yeah. where I've been uh, sort of thinking about climate change and um, trying to figure out and, how, to, how to be. And how do, you, how do you see your kids interacting with this issue? Oh, they don't care. <laughs> Which is fine. Yes, yes. That's the way it should be. Yes. Because I, yeah. I don't want them... I mean, they know that I care and that I think about it a lot, and I um, I hope not to make them, you know, 
who, who wants a kid worried about right. you know deeply scared right um, uh, so that, that's fine uh, hopefully okay. they'll they'll think about it at some point in life and you know I wasn't an activist when I was a child so maybe at some point they will be or maybe not I don't know mm-hmm. um Anything else that you'd like to say and any sort of parting words or, or, I mean, I didn't even mention that you are a writer and that you write, write novels as well as writing on this topic, um, that besides Orion, um, you could probably, you can find, can you find things on the Grist website that you've written or do you need to? Uh, I don't know. I haven't looked. <laughs> um, <laughs> was, I, I've, uh, yeah, I've been uh, in Grist, uh, I think, Ms. Magazine, uh, Bust, over, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, most of my novels. Right. And, um, um, so, and is there, so anything else? Yeah, whatever, whatever else you'd like to Um, say. no, I, th- I think that we have to have a little sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> occasionally. Mm-hmm. And that, that and we have to have enjoyment, or we don't last. Right. Um, and that I think is through through living life and enjoying. Well, we fight for what we think is right. Mm. That's the only way we'll continue. Yeah. We'll be able to last because mm. it's a long fight. Yes. Well said. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Um, so- okay. Great talking to you. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. So, speaking of um, finding humor in this, you might appreciate, if you're enjoying this podcast, you might appreciate Climate Stew, which is another podcast dealing with climate change, but it's taking a comedic angle. Um, Peterson Toscano is the uh, producer of that and the the, um, inventor of several of the characters um, that pitch in in that effort. and he is a comic performer. Um, and he, at some point I will be interviewing him for this podcast. And we've talked about me doing an exchange there. So we'll, we'll be on each other's. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Um, thank you for listening. If you want some more information about the guest we had today, Audrey Shulman, I will uh, put links um, in my show notes, um, which you can find through iTunes. Stitcher, and um, on the Hello Climate Change website, which is hellocc.info. Um, so subscribe and give me comments through iTunes. I read them all, um, really appreciate them, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Bye.